get in here. It's episode six of the Purely Pigskin podcast. I am back with my friend Eric Radicek, and we're hopping over to the AFC, continuing our season preview, and we're starting in the wild, wild west, home of the Kansas City Chiefs, the Las Vegas Raiders, the LA Chargers, and the Denver Broncos. We're ready to go. I hope you're ready to go. Eric, I know you're ready to go. What's going on, buddy? What's going on, my friend? Happy to be back. Long time no see. Uh, what can I say? Two episodes in a row. I can't believe you had me back, but I'm happy to be here. I'm thrilled that you're here. And again, thrilled that we get to preview another exciting division in the NFL. I've always remembered this division as being that wild, wild west. High scoring games, you know, teams that just inevitably beat up on each other often doesn't matter i remember the old days of the chargers back when they were in san diego with ladanian tomlinson and antonio gates the broncos have had their glory years every team it seems has had their turn atop this division and it's an exciting time for this division but we're also not going to pull any punches here the chiefs are the class and we'll get into that plus a whole lot more i'm really excited about this episode All right, so let's start with the Kansas City Chiefs. Of course, they've been to the Super Bowl the past two years, winning it two years ago against the 49ers and then losing last year to the Bucs. I don't think there's any real reason to doubt that they will be in the Super Bowl mix this year. Uh, I'm not sure there's any debate really over who's going to win this division. Are you seeing this as I'm seeing this or are you looking at it a little different? I mean, these guys are pretty okay at throwing around the pigskin, am I right? You got this guy, Patty Mahomes, and and this passing attack for the Kansas City Chiefs with Andy Reid at the helm. It's the team that you don't want to have to play on Sunday. And I don't think there's any reason to think that the Kansas City Chiefs are not going to be the best team in the AFC again this season. And you love to see it. You love to see a QB in his prime at the peak of his powers who just dissects defenses and, um, I mean, what a, what a joyride every Sunday to watch this kid play. Yeah, they are an exciting team. I'm sure there will be a generation of young Kansas City Chiefs fans growing up right now with Mahomes in the Andy Reid era, and they're going to enjoy watching their team for years to come. Absolutely. You know, you think back, you talked about the past with the division, and remember Joe Montana and... You know, you mentioned some of those classic old battles, but there's a lot of history here. And certainly, you know, the the traditions being carried forward with great quarterback play here with Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, you look around at his pass attack and, you know, one of the keys to that pass attack for the last several years has been Travis Kelsey. And you look at Travis Kelsey, a lot of people don't realize he's turning 32 this year in October, in fact, early season. And the one thing I think about, though, as a risk with this offense is there aren't too many examples of elite tight ends continuing that elite kind of production at his age. You have to go back to guys like Tony Gonzalez, Greg Olson, even a little bit lower rung there, Jason Witten, Antonio Gates. If you want to go a little deeper in more recent times, Delaney Walker uh, had a big year or two as an older tight end. But at some point, you got to figure this production is going to fall off. Uh, what do you think, Pete? Do you think he's going to continue to dominate the NFL at the tight end position this season? I mean, if I had to uh, put a stake in the ground here, I would bank on Kelsey having another big year. But it's a point well made. I don't think he's got many elite years left in him at that position. we got to remember that 
playing the tight end position, it's a very physical position. You're not just out there running routes and looking pretty. You're in the trenches. You're making blocks. And those are hard downs for any tight end. So Kelsey's still going to be on the field a lot. There's a huge expectation on him both in the passing game and in the running game. And yeah, I don't think that he's got too many elite years left in him. But for this year, at least, I would expect him to be at the top of his game. And let's face it, there's not another team in this division that can go toe-to-toe with the Kansas City Chiefs. And, you know, you're hard-pressed to find another team in the league that can do that, really. So, I mean, you get these guys home field advantage come playoff time, it's going to be pretty hard to take these guys out of the playoffs. Absolutely. And I really think that this is a testament to Andy Reid. And I'm going to go on a bit of a rant here because I'm such a huge Andy Reid fan. And I know that he generally gets his props. He gets the respect that he deserves these days. Most people recognize that he's one of the best coaches in the NFL. In fact, I would only put him behind Bill Belichick. That's how highly I rate Andy Reid. But I remember not so long ago when a lot of people were questioning Andy Reid. And I'm going back to his time in Philadelphia with the Eagles. I just find it so fascinating how we view coaches and especially quarterbacks. I think that's why coaches and quarterbacks are so tied at the hip because You know, there's so much pressure. The spotlight's always on them. And I go back to when he was with the Eagles. And I I thought, man, the Eagles at the time, I thought, these guys are so lucky to have Andy Reid. He was such a great head coach, even back then. Back in, uh, he took the reins in Philly in 1999. In 2001, he lost to the St. Louis Rams in the NFC Championship game. 2002, he was back in the NFC Championship game again lost to the Bucks, who went on to win the Super Bowl. That was with John Gruden, by the way, who we'll get to in a bit. The year after that, 2003, he was back in the NFC Championship game again and lost again to the Carolina Panthers. And it was at this point when people were starting to doubt Andy Reid, which is kind of crazy. And I remember thinking it was crazy back then because he had just taken his team to the NFC Championship game. But you get this narrative out there, Oh, Andy Reid, he can't win the important games. Even though he was winning all season long, he was winning in the playoffs. They were just having a trouble for whatever reason the Eagles were getting over that hump. The year after that, 2004, not only did they make it back to the NFC Championship game, but they won and went on to face the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. Of course, the Patriots won that Super Bowl, and the questions got even louder about can Andy Reid win the big one. And I was sitting there thinking, this guy's brilliant to have his team in the most important games of the NFL calendar year in and year out. That was four years in a row. But sure enough, you know, those dissenting voices started to get louder and louder. And I remember first hearing the rumors that the Eagles were considering letting Andy Reid go. And I thought, you know, they let this guy go. It's going to be the biggest mistake they ever made. And so when he showed up in KC in 2013, I knew, I knew this guy was going to take this team to the top, that they were going to be competitive year in and year out. And that's exactly what we've got. They've been to the Super Bowl the past two years. The year before that, of course, they did lose to the Patriots in the the AFC Championship game. So again, Andy Reid is doing the exact same thing in Kansas City that he did in Philly. But of course, now he has that Super Bowl. And now he's seen in a completely different light. Andy Reid is a fantastic head coach. Uh, Pete, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you look at his success that he had in Philadelphia. Yeah, true. You know, 
ultimately didn't lead to the Super Bowl. But can you blame the guy? I mean, he ran into the New England Patriots there. That's a dynasty. You know, any team that runs into the Patriots throughout that era, that Tom Brady, Bill Belichick era, there's a lot of guys that maybe could have won it that weren't able to. You know, if you want to use a parallel into a different sport, you can kind of think of it about the New York Knicks and Patrick Ewing back in all those years where Michael Jordan was just dominating winning championships for the Bulls. I mean, you can be deserving of a championship, but there's just that one team that for whatever reason is just that notch above. And unfortunately, he was uh, competing in that time uh, when that dynasty was at their peak. But all this guy does is make the playoffs. You look at the teams that he's coached over the years, and he always brings a contender to the table. And I just think the Chiefs made a brilliant move to bring him in. And I mean, you're seeing it with the success he's having now with the Chiefs. Yeah, absolutely. So Andy Reid, the Chiefs are in good hands. They've got Mahomes. Their window, you know, even with an aging Kelsey, as the years go, I fully trust Andy Reid to replace the talent on the roster, to get results when he needs them. And this team, I mean, let's be honest, it's their division. Nobody else is winning this division this year. It is the Chiefs division. Let's move on to the Las Vegas Raiders then. And I'm going to hit you up with a little trivia here. Are you ready? I'm ready. Bring it on. All right. So Derek Carr has been the quarterback of the Raiders now. He's going into his eighth season. He's been the starter since day one, since he came into the league. How many winning seasons has Derek Carr had with the Raiders? Oh, geez, that is a tough question. I mean, Derek Carr, I, I looked him up recently. I know he's 30 years old. You said, how many seasons has he had with the Raiders? Is that eight seasons? This will be his eighth, so he's had seven. This will be his eighth. Okay, so out of seven seasons, how many of those have been winning? Well, I don't recall you know, a lot of winning teams unfortunately, that Derek Carr has been a part of. And that hasn't really changed so far with Gruden coming to town. I'm going to say, let's put it at two winning seasons. All right. The answer is one. One winning season for Derek Carr as the quarterback of the Raiders. That came in 2016 when he went 12-3 and as a starter. He started 15 games out of 16 that year, and they still didn't win the division. The Chiefs did, of course, under Andy Reid. And this leads me to rant number two, all right? Rant number two, because I saw an article just this past week uh, of an interview that Card did when he said he feels like he's 20 years old and that he can play another 15 years. Now, as you mentioned, he's 30 years old. So to play another 15 years, he'd be 45 years old. So he's talking about pulling a Tom Brady. There's just one problem with that. He's not Tom Brady. And I hate to say this because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be too harsh. But at the same time, I look at Derek Carr's career. And to me, he can't get out of third gear. It's like he's been in third gear his entire career. He has never had that one season where he really took off, and if he's got the potential, shown that potential, he looks to me to be a game manager, and at 30 years old, hey, it's a great goal to have, to want to play until you're 45, but you also got to have a team that wants you to that age. You know, I'm pretty sure Bruce Arians isn't going to Brady saying, look, you're almost 45 now, it's really time. He's going to let Brady go because Brady is still playing at that high level. He just won the Super Bowl as a 40-plus-year-old quarterback. Derek Carr has no such resume. I was listening to him talk about wanting to play to 45, and I thought, what is this guy talking about? One winning season out of seven? I don't get it. 
Yeah, that's hard to believe. I mean, when you think about where we're at today in the league with, just look at the last couple of years. I mean, look at Mariota, Rosen, Dwayne Haskins, Bridgewater. How many times do quarterbacks come into the league? And yeah, the expectation is they got to come in and they've got to win. You don't come in and you don't sit on the bench, warm the bench for a year and, you know, start out of the gate, win two games, then you build and you win six. No, you've got to win from day one. So it's hard to believe. And and I didn't realize that (laughs) one winning season out of seven how does this guy still have a starting job? I mean, you could argue there's been a lot of incompetence in Oakland and perhaps even now in Las Vegas throughout Derek Carr's career, which certainly doesn't help him. But how does a guy hang on to a starting job after that much losing over a seven-year season? It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's a bit of a head-scratcher. And you know, I, and I got to pull this back around. This is going to pain me a little bit because I'm going to mention two more guys that I have a lot of respect for and really do appreciate. One of them is John Gruden, the head coach, and the other is Mike Mayock, the GM. And I want to start with Gruden. I just wonder, I think you have to ask the question at this point, has the game passed by John Gruden? And I hate to even raise that point because I have a lot of respect for Gruden and what he's done in this league. I know that it is so hard on a head coach, which is why so many of these guys end their careers so early, like John Gruden, like Bill Cowher, Some of these other guys, even Jimmy Johnson, who was just inducted into the Hall of Fame last weekend, talked about the toll that it takes on his family. He never got to see his kids play football because he was too busy working, trying to be the most successful head coach that he could be, getting a leg up on the competition. I totally understand why these coaches stop so early when they could keep coaching. And I think for a lot of them, it's a really good move. That said... Gruden took a lot of time away from the game. And yeah, he was in the Monday Night Football booth. He was an analyst. But that's different. That's not being in the league. That's not being in the trenches. And he spent a lot of time away. And I'll give him credit for coming back and saying, you know what, I want another kick at this can. I'm at a place in my life where I want to do this. But as you mentioned, Carr has not really improved all that much under Gruden, nor has the team. So... Again, I think there are question marks here about John Gruden. Chucky doesn't die, my friend. (laughs) Haven't you seen the Child's Play movie? No. He doesn't die. (laughs) I don't think he's a terrible coach. He has a terrible defense, and there's no doubt about that. Las Vegas has one of the worst defenses in the league. Is there a learning curve coming back to the game after that much of a layoff? Absolutely. I don't care who you are. You can't come back to the game uh, after that long a period of time and just come back and, and be as effective as you were. You couldn't do that as an athlete. I don't think you can do it as a coach. That being said, I mean, he has built, let's give him a little bit of credit. He's built some pieces around Carr now, I think. He, there's talent around Carr. And putting the defense aside, you look around at that offense, there's a lot of weapons there. I'm going to start with Darren Waller. I mean, he's now in that Kelsey Kittle territory as one of the top three in the game. There's been some concern about his ankle this offseason, but the most recent report that actually just came out today was very positive. You know, he might have missed eight or nine days of camp by now, but I think he's healthy. And if you look at the reports that are coming out of camp, it seems to be all positive. I expect to see him out there again soon. And I think if he is healthy... He's got the room to score more touchdowns this season. I mean, with the departure of Nelson Aguilar, who did vulture a lot of touchdowns in that offense last year, and a lot of looks for rugs, I'm going to say as well, I think he's got ceiling to grow even from last year. 
And, and I guess my question for you, Pete, because I know you're a big Waller guy. You uh, He was one of your key components with the fantasy championship you won in my league last year. But do you think he could be the overall T you won? He has that in him. I'll say that. He has it in him. If you're not familiar with Waller, if you're, especially if you're not familiar with his story, get to know his story because he had some real rough spots in his personal life. Uh, he overcame a lot of adversity to make it back, not just back onto the football field, but back into the NFL and into stardom. He could finish as a tight end one. I don't know if I would bank on that per se. Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned that story. What a story that is. I mean, a lot of people don't realize this guy's 28 years old, Darren Waller. You think about him as a young guy because he's only really been known a, a known commodity for the last couple of years. You look at the guy, he cleaned himself up, you know, he got himself back to, uh, you know, being in good health and overcoming some of those issues uh, that he had. And now to convert to a new position and play it, you know, as good as anybody in the league, this guy, how can you not love this guy? How can you not get behind him? Let's move on then to the LA Chargers. And uh, I know we've got a few talking points here, but what's something that you're looking at when you're sizing up the Chargers this year? Well, I think the first place you've got to look is Herbert and the rookie season that this kid put up. I mean, it's almost unheard of. It's one of these uh, seasons that's just going to be for the ages and what he was able to do. And, you know, the question is from a lot of analysts out there is, can he repeat? Can he do it again this year? In fact, can he improve? And I'm, I'm here to say, I think he can. The offensive line is improved from last year. They've made some coaching changes. And I think Lynn wasn't the greatest coach for that offense. I think the change is going to be positive. Um, I think there's a chance for this offense to get even better. He's still got Keenan Allen, who I think is one of the elite wide receivers in the league today. He never gets his credit, but he's one of the best route runners, and he always finds a way to get open. What a security blanket for a quarterback to have, a young quarterback to have in Keenan Allen. Never mind Mike Williams. You know, one of the things they're talking about, the Chargers camp in the offseason, there seems to be this um, echoing throughout the camp of wanting to get Mike Williams the football. And Mike Williams, I mean, he is a guy, I mean, you look at his size, his strength, his ability to go up and make jump ball catches. He's the kind of guy, you got to get him more looks. He wins those battles. I want to see Herbert push the ball downfield a little more this year, get the ball into Mike Williams' hands, let him make the play. And just imagine what this team's going to look like when you've got two elite wide receivers that are really, uh, you know, pushing things along for Herbert. Yeah. And that is the big question, I think, around Herbert and the offense this year is, can Herbert go to the next level? He had a great rookie season. I think a lot of people are looking for him. The guy I think that's going to be key to all this, I think, is the offensive coordinator, new offensive coordinator uh, for the Chargers, and that's Joe Lombardi. Joe Lombardi, if you're wondering, is, in fact, a grandson of the great Vince Lombardi. He's most known for his time with the Saints, Uh, in which he was part of many great offenses. Of course, they've got a great head coach in Sean Payton and had a great quarterback in Drew Brees. On the flip side, he had a really bad spell in Detroit. That is notable as well because that was in the Stafford era with Megatron as well. And Stafford particularly, his numbers went down with Lombardi calling the shots there. So I think there's a big question here as to whether Herbert will take that jump in the second year. Uh, I was reading an article just today on usatoday.com wondering about that because as the author, I I forget his name, reasoned Herbert is more Mm. like Stafford than he is to Breeze. And if Lombardi comes in and simply tries to implement what he was doing in New Orleans, then you have to wonder if 
he might struggle the way that Stafford struggled when he came to Detroit. But I do like Herbert a lot. I think he's got a lot of talent. You have to think that Lombardi will design and gear that offense to suit Herbert's strengths rather than simply pigeonhole him into doing what Drew Brees did in New Orleans. That's really the cardinal sin of, of many coaches in the NFL is when they try to do that to players and they can't get on the same page and the whole team suffers because of it. So I think that's a big question mark, but I think they've got enough pieces there that they should be able to make it work. Absolutely. And don't also don't discount what a healthy Austin Eckler is going to do for him this year too. You know, Eckler was out of the lineup a bit last year and, you know, I know that Eckler, I usually look at things in sort of a fantasy perspective and he's one of those controversial guys where a lot of people don't see the value in what he does because he's not a traditional running back. You know, you think about what a running back is, you think about the big bruising guy who's going to push it through the twenties and you know, pound the end zone. That's not what Eckler is, but what Eckler is, and we saw this with Philip Rivers before Herbert, is he's that perfect complement to the quarterback where the quarterback can really use Eckler as a security blanket. And one of the things I really like about Herbert is his ability to kind of scramble and make things happen. He's creative out there. Some of the throws you see him make are very Patrick Mahomes-esque. Um, how he delivers with that sort of sidearm flick. And I think getting Eckler back there and hopefully knock on wood for the whole season, I think that's going to be huge for Herbert. And it's going to take some pressure off. And it's it's not just Eckler. Look around at that running game. They drafted Roundtree, who they're talking about out of camp. You've got Justin Jackson and Joshua Kelly who are fighting for that I'd say final running back depth chart position. Uh, Looks like Justin Jackson is the guy who's going to win that. I think Kelly might be the odd man looking out. And I think if you've got a healthy rushing attack with the passing chops that Eckler has, it's going to be huge for Herbert this year. Yeah, Eckler will definitely be a welcome addition back after uh, dealing with the injuries last year. And really, he's actually a bigger back than a lot of people realize. I think Uh, You look back to the time when he was playing second fiddle to Melvin Gordon. He's not quite as big as Gordon, and he was used predominantly as a third down receiving back. And so I think people got this perception that Eckler is this little five foot eight, uh, 180-pound running back who who can't handle the tough stuff, but he's actually 5'10", 200. So he's a little bigger than that. And as you mentioned, he's got that receiving threat as well. So yeah, Eckler's a great player and he'll, he'll be a, a big player for them this year. Have you seen some of this guy's workout videos? I mean, some of the stuff he puts on social media, the dude looks like Terminator out there. I mean, he looks like he's ready to stomp. I don't care if he's five foot 10. I'm not messing with this guy. Oh, no, definitely not. Yeah. He's got some great video. I've seen some of them for sure. Uh, so, yeah, and of course they, they added at the offensive line position in the draft as well. So uh, really drafted to fill needs, which is a good thing, I think, for the Chargers to do. I think they did a good job in the draft overall. They also got Josh Palmer, who's an exciting prospect at wide receiver. I know a lot of people are excited to see what he can do. So uh, I think the future is relatively bright for the Chargers, and uh, we'll see if they can make a run at the playoffs this year. Absolutely, and I expect them to. Um I think they're going to make the playoffs. That's my that's my hot take, if you can call it one. Um, I expect the Chiefs to have a, a partner from the AFC West this year join them in the playoffs, and I, I think the Chargers are going to be that wild card team. Okay, well, we will, uh, we will officially get our picks in in a few minutes here. Let's move on to the fourth and final team in this division, 
perhaps not fourth in the standings, but we shall see the Denver Broncos, a team that struggled in recent history. Uh, Of course, they have a lot of questions of their own. However, they do have a very good defense, a defense that's getting back Von Miller this year after losing him for the entire year last year. Uh, A lot of weapons on the offensive side of the ball, but that quarterback question is nagging. They can't seem to figure that one out. They've been looking for a franchise quarterback since Peyton Manning left, and uh, they've got a lot of question marks around that. So let's take a look at the Broncos. What do you think there? Well, absolutely. I mean, you look at the quarterback battle, if you want to call it that, the camp battle that's going on right now. You've got a guy who's a bit of a gunslinger in Drew Locke. He likes to throw it downfield. He likes to take risks versus the slow, steady, reliable Teddy Bridgewater, who, by the way, sustained three top 25 wide receivers in fantasy last year in Carolina in terms of uh, that production. Locke's inaccuracy gets him in a lot of trouble. I see Teddy ultimately winning this race because he's not a risk taker. He's not going to do things to put that team behind. And you said it. This team has got a great defense. I don't think you need a risk taker. You've got enough playmakers in that offense that if you play a more conservative style, uh, focus on getting the ball into your hands of your playmakers around the line of scrimmage. Um, you don't need to look for that deep shot when it's not there. I think this is Teddy's race to win. Yeah, it's going to be a tight one. The Broncos have already announced for the first two exhibition games that Locke will start the first exhibition game and that Bridgewater will start the second one. So I guess a slight edge to Locke there because they're giving him the first start. Uh, But by already announcing that Bridgewater will start the second game, it's about as close to 50-50 as you can call it, I think. And I think you size these guys up well. Bridgewater is very steady. Unfortunately, he had that injury back with the Vikings that almost ended his career. I think it's really commendable how he's rebounded from that and made a career for himself in this league with the Saints, with the Panthers, and now getting another chapter with the Broncos. But Locke, yeah, he's, I think, got a little more upside, a little more zip on his passes, able to make some throws that perhaps Bridgewater can't make. But he gambles a lot, and even if Locke does win this job at a camp, if he starts throwing interceptions, I'm 100% sure that Vic Fangio will pull him out of there and give Bridgewater a shot at this. I totally agree with you. I mean, you know, as I said, you don't need to take those chances when you have that good of a defense, and I think Teddy is going to do just enough to kind of keep that motor running, and with his defense on the other side of the ball, getting the ball back into his hands, um, I think you're going to see... Teddy Bridgewater, who's not going to turn the ball over, ultimately win this race. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, of course, they have a lot of pieces on defense. Uh, The aforementioned Von Miller coming back, Bradley Chubb on the other side. They drafted Pat Sertan Jr. or Pat Sertan II out of Alabama. And of course, I'm impartial to him because he is the son of Patrick Sertan, who was a corner for the Dolphins a number of years ago and who was amazing for us. Great talent in his own right. And it looks like his son has all the ability and who knows, maybe even more. So they've got a great defense. One story, though, that I was reading just today about Von Miller. He was interviewed just this week and he says that he is, quote, 97.5% recovered from the injury, the ankle injury that kept him out of all of last season. If you're a Broncos fan and you hear Von Miller talking about being 97.5% 
in training camp the next year. Are you a little worried? Well, it's never a good look. You don't want your players to come back and be tentative, right? And you're seeing that a bit with the reports coming out of camp with Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals as well. When a player comes back from injury, there's always going to be that period of getting back to health and really having that confidence. And it sounds like Von Miller doesn't have that confidence yet. And that is concerning. I mean, we want to see a full season of Von Miller and Bradley Chubb at uh, the linebacker positions. We know what that squad is capable of and you just want to see those guys tearing apart offensive lines getting in the backfield getting those sacks and to do that you need mobility and if his ankle's not right then that could be a problem let's move into some predictions then you want to go first yeah i'll go first so i i think um you know we we both agree sounds like by our discussion earlier chiefs are winning this division there's absolutely no doubt in my mind no one's going to hold a candle to them in second place and wild card eligible Los Angeles Chargers. I think they're going to do it this year. They're going to take that next step. They're going to finish the second place. They will be in the playoffs this year. And that leaves the Broncos and the Raiders in that order uh, on the outside looking in to miss the playoffs again this year. We talked about the Broncos. I I think they've got obviously a ton of talent with the guys that they have on that offense with Judy and Noah Fant and and some of the other playmakers like Cortland Sutton, and not to mention that great backfield. Um, But I think they're still missing the biggest part of that puzzle, and that is the quarterback. So you've got Chiefs, Chargers, Broncos, Raiders. Correct. All right, I'm going to go similar, but I'm going to flip those bottom two. I'm going to go Chiefs, Chargers, Raiders, Broncos. Not that it makes a huge difference. I do think with you that they both missed the playoffs, and I think the Chargers – likewise are a bubble team in fact they're right on that bubble so it's really tough i won't say 100 percent. i think the chargers are going to make the playoffs i could see that go either way i do think they'll finish second in the division but i got the chiefs number one in a landslide and after that not so sure about anybody else let's move into some fantasy talk and uh, we're going to pick up right where we left off Last week, and we're going to add a new segment as well, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But before we get to that, a final note on auction leagues, because last week we were talking about uh, how great the auction league is and the format and all the benefits that come with that. But we missed describing the fab system, which has to do with picking up players off of waivers and out of free agency and things of that nature. It's a perfect pairing, I think, with the auction league. But do you want to just take a minute, Eric, and describe to us the fab system and and why it's good? Yeah, so I I think you can think about the fab system a lot like you think about an auction. So you get a budget. Um, The difference being is that you're getting this budget after the draft. So the draft is over. You've got this budget now that you use to acquire players throughout the regular season and into the postseason in fantasy. And so just to imagine what that looks like, let's say, you know, the running back goes down with injury. Well, suddenly now the hottest waiver ad the following week is that going to be that backup running back. Well, to get that backup running back in traditional leagues, you know, you just put your waiver claim in and then it's numbered. If you're the highest number who puts a claim in that player, you win the player. Well, in the fab system, you're actually bidding some of that budget. Typically $200 is the total budget. To get that top running back, you might have to put 20, 30, 40% of your budget down in order to win them. And so it really becomes a bit of a chess match throughout the year. And it just adds another dimension on top of free agency. And it makes things really interesting. Yeah. And uh, as a quick story, last year, if you can believe this, I dropped Justin Jefferson 
after a few weeks of no production because I needed his roster spot. And he was at the time the worst player on my team. Uh, Then he went off and I'll give a shout out to our good buddy Ivano here who took 90 of his 200 fab dollars in fake money and plopped it down on Justin Jefferson and went on a massive tear. And this year he's keeping him. So uh, we mentioned how that pool ended. I didn't miss him at the end of the day last year, but this year I'm missing him. And uh, he's over there on Ivano's team, though I hear he's unhappy and still wishes that he was Ivano <laughs> over there day. pouring some salt so. in the wound, eh? Keeping him into the next year. Well, hey, good for Ivano. Way to see the talent there in Jefferson. And you didn't even need yeah. him. You won the championship anyways. Credit to him. And I'll admit, when he put 90 down, I thought he was crazy after just one week of production. But hey, Jefferson went around and had a, a rookie season for the ages. So good for him and good for Ivano. Just a quick story on Ivano. You know, I'll never forget one year we're, we're, we're doing our annual draft and you, me and Gino and Ivano are all sitting around and it comes to the late part of the draft and Ivano turns to me, he goes, I'm going to draft a backup quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. And this is Mahomes rookie season. And I said, you're crazy. You've already got a good quarterback. I can't remember who he had, but he had a great starting quarterback. You're crazy. Don't draft a backup quarterback. Leave Mahomes. He's not worth it. But what does Mahomes turn around and do? And Ivano has never let me live that down oh, boy. from from this point forward. I told him not yeah. to draft Patrick Mahomes. I'm sorry, Ivano, if you're listening. Yeah. And that's another benefit of fantasy football. It's the trash chalk and it's the bragging rights that come with fantasy football. It's a lot of fun. All right, let's get into some of the players here. And something I wanted to focus on in this division specifically is the number two receivers in this division. Because if you look at the Chiefs, we all know who their top receiver is. It's Tyreek Hill. If you look at the Chargers, we all know who their top receiver is. It's Keenan Allen. Uh, but after that, uh, not so much. And and so it creates this question about, well, who's going to be the, the best second wide receivers on each team and and what kind of season can we expect from them so let's start at the at the top there with the chiefs uh or at least the 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 uh chargers and talk about who might be that number two receiver and what kind of season that we can expect out of them well i kind of tease it off the top but with the chargers i really believe in mike williams and this is such a good question pete because there are so many good number two wide receivers in this division. I mean, there's a real wealth of talent at the position in this division. Mike Williams, I think, is poised to have a big season. He's got the great quarterback in Justin Herbert. He's got the great alpha 1A receiver on the other side in Keenan Allen lining up, who's going to draw a lot of attention. And I think it opens up opportunities for Mike Williams. It's just a, a question of Herbert trusting him and forcing the ball in there a little more, I think, than he has in his first season. Look around the rest of the division, though. The reason it's so hard is you've got McCole Hardman, who I think, you know, obviously maybe hasn't shown the the kind of consistency that you want to see in a number two, but he's got the chance to step up this year with Sammy Watkins leaving the Chiefs. And Cortland Sutton, the guy who was the top receiver in the Denver Broncos offense, you know, and obviously suffered the devastating injury last year. You hate to see it. He's back this year. You hope he's healthy. You hope he's ready to go. Um, you know that with Jerry Judy on the other side of the ball, these two guys are going to be a menace for defenses to cover. That just leaves the Raiders, who unfortunately don't have that second elite guy, uh, I don't think. I mean, you've got Ruggs, who I still believe there's a reason he was drafted as the number one receiver in that draft. I don't really think there's a solid number two there like the other teams have. What are your thoughts on it, Pete? 
Yeah, with regards to Ruggs and the Raiders, you kind of got to wonder if they have a number one receiver, not never mind a number two receiver. But I am with you. I don't think you should be throwing out Ruggs and dismissing him at this point. I think he's worth a look to see if he does bust out. With Aguilar gone, the very fact that the Raiders were willing to let Aguilar go says to me that they're willing to move forward without him. And if they're willing to move forward without him, they've got to like something about what they have there. So I got to believe that they still believe, uh, in the very least, that Ruggs can be that number one guy. I do think he's going to take a lot of those balls that Aguilar, because Aguilar was the deep guy last year. So I could see Ruggs being that guy, stretching the field, ripping off some big gains. And if he really breaks out, you know, he could have a, a fantastic all-around year. Kansas City, it's really tough to say. They've got some guys that are still very much established there. Demarcus Robinson, Pringle, and of course they just drafted Cornell Powell as well out of Clemson. And right now he's listed pretty low on the depth chart, but he could emerge potentially into that number two guy in KC. Beyond that, yeah, I think and I'm actually going to take a real differing view on Mike Williams. I really need him to prove it before I'm going to take any chances on him because I feel like the football world, the fantasy football world, has been talking about Mike Williams for years, and he's never really had that breakout. And it's so interesting to me because there was another guy on the Chargers that just left that we were asking these same questions about, just sitting around waiting for this guy to break out, and that was Hunter Henry at the tight end position. So there was always this hype around Henry, and he never really lived up to that hype, and then he left. Is that going to be the same with Mike Williams, or is he finally going to put it together this year? Uh, Part of that's injury. He can't seem to stay on the football field, but, man, I don't know about that guy. Well, here's what I would say. Look back to 2019. I mean, when Mike Williams played 15 games, he had a 49-catch, 89-target thousand and one yard season that's 20 yards per reception and only two touchdowns that's an anomaly for sure and certainly 49 catches thousand yards is very unusual even if you look into last year 48 catches 756 yards this guy gets the ball downfield and with that there's going to be a little bit more inconsistency from game to game he's not your Keenan Allen he's not your blanket guy who's going to be the security for the quarterback down low underneath running those shorter routes he's your deep threat and I think he's got the tools to do it he's got the talent to do it one of the problems with Mike Williams over his career has actually been his ability to stay healthy within games you look at his games played over the last couple of years you're going to see 15 in each of them but I mean I remember just personally watching some of those games and he'd come down awkwardly after one of those contested catches and suddenly you'd see him out of the game uh you know maybe for the back half or missing a few series at least I want to see this guy go out there play a full 16 games keep himself healthy and I think with Herbert under center he does have the potential to score double digit touchdowns and if he does that with his potential outcome of, let's say, a 1,000-plus yards, he's going to be a huge receiver that we're going to be talking about as maybe even a top 24 guy going into the fantasy season next year in 2022. Yeah. I think that's a great observation about his health. It's not necessarily the big year-long injuries uh, where he's done for the season type of a thing. It's those little nagging injuries that seem to take him off the football field take his targets away, prevent him from having that impact on the game. But we will see if he can put it together this year. One last note about the Broncos there. 
they've got so many weapons. They've got Sutton, they've got Jerry Judy, they've got K.J. Hamler, they've got Noah Font. Those are some fantastic young receiving options. In fact, there's so many of them, it's really going to be hard to choose who's going to be the one, who's going to be the two, what kind of value Noah Font's going to have. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But let's move to the backfield, sticking with the Broncos, move to the backfield. Of course, the incumbent running back there is Melvin Gordon, who switched teams within the division coming over from the Chargers. Had a decent year with the Broncos last year, but not a great year. Philip Lindsay was in the mix. He's gone now. But the Broncos jumped ahead, uh, most notably of the Dolphins, early in the second round of the draft this year, to take Javante Williams out of North Carolina. A lot of hype around this kid. He's definitely going to see the football field. What do you see happening in this backfield from a fantasy perspective this season? Well, I think, you know, it's it's a luxury that they have at this position. I mean, the two guys that they've got, Javante Williams is an electric player. I think he's going to have a long, successful fantasy career in the NFL. But I don't know that this is the year that you want to draft him because MG3 is still there. And MG3, you know, he might be getting up there in age. Clearly, they didn't draft Williams where they drafted him if they didn't see him as the future back. But I think they're going to ride this pony in MG3 for everything it's got left this season. And I think they're going to have a hard time keeping MG3 off the field. I think he's going to start as the starter for this season. I think that is going to happen. They're going to defer to the veteran. It's going to be MG3's backfield with Javante Williams mixing in. Maybe it's a 60-40. Maybe it's closer to a 50-50. And maybe that role grows for Williams over the course of the season, but I think it's going to take time. And I I wouldn't be drafting Williams with the expectation that he's going to be a stud running back uh, for your fantasy squad right out of the gate, at least anyways. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I would add to that, of course, you never hope for anyone to get injured. But if you're looking at this from a fantasy perspective, Melvin Gordon has had a lot of significant injuries in his career. The one thing I would say in response to that that might bring Williams back into that picture is if Gordon gets hurt again, all of a sudden he's going to be thrust into that starting job and he has the ability to take that thing over once he gets it. But no doubt, I think you're right. They'll start with the veteran. Gordon, ironically, was complaining that they didn't give him more last year with Lindsay there. Uh, Unfortunately for him, that's not going to change this year because Javante Williams is highly rated and he's going to see the football field. But we'll see. Yeah, I would agree. From a fantasy perspective, I wouldn't look for much, especially early on from Javante Williams. But the long game, and if you're playing fantasy football, you're in a dynasty league, Javante Williams is going to be a great guy to have if you can get him. So uh, I think we're in agreement there. Let's move on again. Let's move to the other tight ends of this division. Of course, we've talked a bit about Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller. Those two guys are studs. They're both going to be in the top three of tight ends this year in fantasy production. Let's look at the other tight ends in this division, though. Noah Font, who we've mentioned briefly, and uh, Jared Cook. What do you see coming from those guys this year? Well, I think Noah Font is immensely talented. I think that he's another guy. You mentioned Dynasty. He's a Dynasty guy that I want to have on my roster. There's no doubt. I think he's poised to have a long, successful career in Denver. The only problem for Noah Fant this year is the quarterback position that we already talked about. Who's going to be throwing him the football? 
Look at how many mouths there are to feed on that team. Is this team going to rely on Teddy Bridgewater or uh, Drew Locke to be slinging the rock around, racking up the fantasy points? I don't think so. I think they're getting it done with Williams and MG3. um, And the targets are going to be spread around between all those guys that we named in that offense already. So at his current price, if we're looking around as at ADP on draft day, it's his average draft position. I don't know if Font is going to necessarily live up to the expectation there. I'm fading him in fantasy this year. Jared Cook, there's a there's a ghost from the past in uh, the Chargers this year. And we saw what he did last year in New Orleans. Uh, he's an older player, obviously. I think he's 28 years old. But you know what? They've got Hunter Henry's left the Chargers now. And Jared Cook is going to be the top guy in that tight end group. And I think he's a sneaky good value come draft day where, look, don't expect he's going to be a top five tight end. I'm not saying he's going to be a top five tight end. But if I had the choice between drafting Fant where he's going, let's say in those middle rounds, as opposed to getting Jared Cook at the end of the draft where I can focus on the rest of my fantasy team, I'm taking the value on Jared Cook all day long. Yeah, and I like what you say about Noah Font. If it was down to ability alone, I would be all in on Noah Font. He's a great talent. But as you said, there are a lot of mouths to feed there. And that wouldn't even bother me if the quarterback position wasn't in such question. If they had an Aaron Rodgers there, who they might next year, if they had a guy like Tom Brady there, I would be drafting Font without reservation. But not knowing who the quarterback's going to be and not really having faith that whether it's Locke or Bridgewater – they're going to be able to spread the ball around to everybody and, and really get everybody's stats up there. I'm a little hesitant about Font. I'd still take him on my team. It's not about taking a guy or not taking a guy. It's it's where I would feel comfortable taking Font and where I would not feel comfortable taking him. So I would fade him perhaps just a little bit, but generally speaking, I'd be happy with Font on my team. With regards to Jared Cook, You know, this is a guy that I've really had a hard time figuring out over the course of his career, from a fantasy perspective especially. He seems to have a bad year, a bad year, a bad year, and then a great year. And then he has a bad year and a bad year and a bad year, and then a great year. I really don't understand the trajectory of this guy's career. However, he does have one leg up there in L.A. with the Chargers already because the aforementioned Joe Lombardi, the new offensive coordinator there, is familiar with Cook from their time together in New Orleans. So he's got a leg up on the competition there. And of course, he's not competing with his own teammates, but from a fantasy perspective, uh, he's competing for targets. And uh, I think he's got a bit of a leg up there. So he could be a bit of a sleeper this year. Absolutely. I mean, you look at his, where is he going to be used? He's going to be used around the end zone, right? So you're hoping for that high powered Chargers offense to have lots of scoring opportunities. And I think they will. And so within that, then who are the big body guys that they're going to be targeting down around the red zone? And I think it's going to be the aforementioned Mike Williams uh, and Jared Cook. I think Jared Cook is a real specialist when it comes down to the goal line. And I'd look for him to score seven, eight touchdowns this year. Yeah, I think if you've drafted Cook and you get, on average, say, five catches for 60 yards and a bunch of touchdowns, you'll be pretty happy with that. Okay, let's move into our new segment, Rapid Fire Ratings. In this segment, I'm going to just throw out a bunch of names to you. You're going to tell me where they finish at the end of the year in the overall grand scheme of things. So we're only going to go players in this division, but we're talking 
where they will finish in the pecking order of the entire NFL at their position in fantasy football this year. Are you ready to go? Ooh, the pressure's on here, Pete. I mean, this is, uh, I don't know if I can handle all this for sure. I do have a question off the top. Okay, let's go. Okay, so what, are we saying this is PPR? Yeah, that's a good question, and that's good advice for any fantasy player. Of course, one of the first things you always want to pay attention to are what are the settings in your pool, because that's going to affect how you rank players ultimately. Yeah, let's go PPR. Okay, got it. I'm ready. PPR is more fun. Let's do it. Anyways, right? Oh, yeah. Who doesn't like more fantasy points? All right. So I got five names for you. Try to answer as quickly and succinctly as you can. Okay? Okay, let's go. All right. Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen. I really like him. Uh, I'm going to say Keenan Allen has the upside to be a wide receiver 10. All right. Austin Eckler. Austin Eckler, running back five. Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs, running back 24. Ooh, we're going to come back to that one. Henry Ruggs third. Oh, you're killing me with the rugs now? <laughs> Holy, the range of outcomes on this guy. I know you want to be fast here. Uh, Henry Ruggs, I'm going to say wide receiver 26. And finally, Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy, I'm a big believer. You know he's got the talent. I want to see this guy succeed. I'm going to push it. I'm going to say wide receiver 20. All right, wide receiver 20. You did great. All right, okay. All there right. you go. What do I win? I do what do I win? What's my prize? Uh, my adoration and respect. <laughs> <laughs> Let's circle back there on Josh Jacobs. What did you say? A running back 24, did you say? I said running back 24, and it's it's for some of the reasons. Actually, I guess we didn't get into that when we talked about the Raiders, but I think the problem for Josh Jacobs this season is going to be the addition of Kenyon Drake. I think Kenyon Drake's going to eat into his workload. And, you know, what? what's the knock against Josh Jacobs throughout his first couple of years of his career as a running back? Well, if you want to be a top end, top five running back, top 10 running back, a workhorse, a stud, generally speaking, if your name's not Derrick Henry, you've got to add something in the passing game. And Josh Jacobs doesn't add that. And we know Kenyon Drake has a pedigree of doing this before with your Miami Dolphins. Not as much with the Cardinals. It was a kind of a weak stint there that he had. But I expect the Raiders and John Gruden to take advantage of uh, his pedigree there as a pass catcher. And I think he's going to start eating into some of that workload too. Mm -hmm. I think you could see more of a split backfield than you've seen in recent years with the Raiders. Yeah, I think from strictly a football perspective, their backfield is stronger now than it was last year. Of course, Devontae Booker is out of there. He's with the Giants now. And they brought in Kenyon Drake. I think that's an upgrade for the reasons that you've mentioned. Also, I will add to that. I think for the upside piece, making the argument for Josh Jacobs, he's not a great pass catching back, as you said, but he is a great running back in the purest sense of the word. And he's great at the goal line. So I, I get it. He is a tough one to predict because he could go either way. His upside is really high, but his floor is kind of low. So a bit of a boomer or bust with him. We'll see what kind of season he has in fantasy this year. Should be interesting. But that's going to do it for this episode. Eric, thank you so much, man, for coming on. You've been fantastic. We're going to have to have you back in the regular season. Well, my man, I enjoyed this. And, you know, like I said before, I can't thank you enough for having me on and love the show keep doing what you're doing uh i'll keep running the fan club here back at home and uh i'll check in on you every episode and and just keep pushing that content i want to see you release some more episodes let's go baby 
All right. I will appreciate that feedback as always. Next week, I will be with my friend Ryan Tudor. We will be previewing the AFC South. We're looking forward to it. Until next time, take it easy. Mm-hmm.